HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program is made possible thanks to the generosity of our listeners. Show your support at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. This week on Meet and 3, we look at the ways indoor and outdoor spaces are being reconceptualized during the pandemic to better suit new modes of living, working, and eating. It brought a vibrancy and an energy back to the city streets that were so dearly missed during the height of the pandemic. This is about how we can grow indoors all year round uh, using proprietary technology that we've developed. How do I have someone understand, look, don't take a next to the June berries because you can eat those. That's free food. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, on this journey through culinary history. Today, we're talking about pie. American pie. And excuse me if I have to take a sweet snack break because I have a real weakness for pie. (laughs) Well, as you know, the old saying, as American as apple pie, except that's not exactly accurate. But Americans just took it a step or two further. The first recipe for American apple pie appears in print in 1881. And in 1913, American author Henry Fink wrote in his book, Food and Flavor, The apple pie is ours as much as our flag. Fink went on to explain why English apple pies could never match those of American bakers, because we in America have sweeter apples. And it didn't stop with apples. As Harriet Beecher Stowe wrote in the 1880s, The pie is an English institution that when planted on American soil, forthwith ran rampant and burst forth into untold variety of genres and species. And indeed, we have pies galore and types of pies galore. What's your favorite pie? It would be hard to choose. But what about pumpkin pie, that iconic dessert of the most American of holidays, Thanksgiving? Why wasn't it as American as pumpkin pie? Well, Pumpkin pies were being baked by the British. Um, But we can't claim pies as our own. In many cultures, as far back as the ancient Greeks and and Romans, people have a history of some type of dough encasing a filling. And America's just happens to focus on the sweet. 
It has been said that a good slice of pie transcends Americana cliches. It expresses region and family history. And my guest today knows a thing or two about pies and history coming from a family who made pie baking their business. She is Petra Petey Paradez. She grew up in a pie-baking family. Her parents own the acclaimed Mom's Apple Pie Company in Leesburg, Virginia. She was raised in the bakery and pulled all-nighters before Thanksgiving and learned the tricks of the trade. We'll find out more about that later from her. And, ta- and learned how to pilot new recipes using produce grown on the family farm. As she became an adult, she decided to move to New York City and teach school. And then she seized the opportunity to open, guess what, her own pie shop. It's called Petey's Pies in New York City, and it soon became a hit. And now Petra has written a book all about pies, which has become a hit. And it's called Pie for Everyone, published by Abrams. Pies for Everyone was named one of Fall's best cookbooks in the New York Times and also one of the best cookbooks by Eater.com. It has more than 80 recipes for the best pies you can make at home. But what interested me even more is that it has interesting stories, background, and history about many of the different pie recipes and particularly the history of pie itself. So Petra, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Linda. I'm so happy to be here. Well, you had mentioned uh, in in your book that um, what a couple hippies know about the pie business, and you can tell us firsthand about that. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into the pie business. Yeah, well, by the time I was born, my parents um, already had an established pie bakery in uh, Herndon, Virginia, um, near where I grew up. And um, they had started a few years earlier after um, a farm operation that they had been working on and planned to continue working on kind of went under um, after they didn't receive a, a government loan they had been expecting. And um, and not knowing what else to do, they just sort of thought, what if we uh, sold pies at the farm's market for, for a little while. They had my, uh, my oldest sister, and, uh, and she was a baby at the time, and they needed to make ends meet somehow. Um, and my, my dad hadn't been a baker in the past, but he was pretty sure that he could um, sort of work backwards uh, <laughs> based on <laughs> what he wanted in a pie, um, which is, you know, a nice tender crust and a, and a juicy filling with made with really good, high-quality fruit. Um, and he he realized he hadn't seen those in a while. He hadn't seen those kinds of pies in a while. So he figured he would make them himself. So he, so he, he figured it out. Um, I think he used, you know, maybe some family recipes and tweaked them. And, um, and, uh, and they started making out of their house selling at the farmer's market and, and they became really popular just because my dad had, you know, high standards for himself and my parents were working side by side at that time, um, uh, in, in their home. And apparently my mom was really fast. <laughs> she was, she was really, really quick when it came to the rolling pin and putting a pie together really rapidly. Um, so they managed to do it really efficiently in their home. Um, and, uh, and the, the, owner of the Reston Farm Market, which was sort of um, 
which was sort of uh, legendary <laughs> in in our in our town. Um, it told them, you know, y- you need a brand, you need a name, <laughs> and they thought it would be funny to call it Mom's Apple Pie Company because it evoked this sort of um, almost a nostalgic sense of, and a wholesome, uh, you know, Americana type of, of I- image of a of a mom and an apron, and that was very much not what they were. <laughs> oh, was, I mean, it's absolutely the perfect name. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It is, and it was. It was sort of a tongue in cheek kind of uh, kind of thing as far as they were concerned, but uh, but it did the trick. And um, and then by the time I was little, they had pretty much a pie factory, um, a gigantic warehouse space with a pie line, a pie assembly line, a really, really cool apple peeling machine. (laughs) Um, And uh, that was really, that one was really fun to watch. I I daydream of having a space where I can fit the same kind of apple peeling machine (laughs) Uh, in in our city bakery. But um, so, um, so you couldn't stay away for long, huh? You had to open no. your own business. <laughs> it's such a funny thing because, you know, try as you might to sort of break break out and individuate and <laughs> do your own thing. Um, I was just a lot m- more comfortable and competent in this, like, small mom and pop business setting of, of having a having a bakery and I and my husband and I met and started dating while I was a teacher I was a special education teacher in New York for for four years but he said that he didn't really know me until we started the business and we were doing um all-nighters in a in a commercial kitchen to sell pies uh, at a market on the weekends. <laughs> and he saw me just really in my element, <laughs> you know, delegating to him, telling him what to do. <laughs> and, <laughs> and just, you know, in complete control of my environment uh, in a way that he had never seen um, when I was a teacher and just never, never quite sure if I was doing things right. It, it's, it's, it, it's an incredibly hard job. And I, I've got to say that I am um, more comfortable in it, in my element as a, as a baker, <laughs> so <laughs> as a the, pie maker. The apple pie doesn't fall far from the tree, in other words. It's true. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, well, now the pies that you bake and are, um, are primarily sweet pies, right? F- you know, fruit pies and custard pies and things. Do you do any savory pies? We do some savory pies. Um, right now we have a, a, a chili, um, like a sort of sweet chili beef uh, pie, and we have a chicken pot pie as well as a cheese and onion pot pie. Because, I mean, when I, when I said that the history of pies or things baked in a crust, you know, goes back for millennia, I mean, they were not sweet pies. They were generally savory pies, but... You wrote a little bit about that in a very nice synopsis in your in your book. Can you talk a little bit about pies in history, or what we would call a pie? You know, having right. a crust in history. Yeah, I, I, our perspective as Americans, I think, is is mostly that pies are a sweet dessert, mm-hmm. um, and yet pies are popular all over the world, especially in Anglophone countries. You know, wherever wherever the English went. Um, pies sort of became a culinary feature of that place, and um, so you know, there's uh, there's Australian meat pies, and there's all sorts of you know English meat pies, and um, and it, it, each region might have their specialty. But for us, it, it became such a sweet dessert uh, oriented dish, and my only explanation for that is that 
you know, the sugarcane trade and the and sugarcane claim uh, sugarcane plantations were such a feature of the American South, um, and that all of that easy access to sugar made people. Um, you know, it, extra creative with it, and uh, and it became uh, more of a feature of pies um, in American cuisine. Right, that they would be a dessert, um, and uh, so access to all of these fruits, access to sugar, um, made our um, uh, our perception of pie very different. Right, <laughs> um, you know, it's it's not that their sweet pies hadn't existed before. It's just that um, there might have been, um, you know, there's a, 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 of course plenty of medieval pies that blended savory and sweet ingredients like the, you know, mince pies, well, yeah. you know, where mince pies came from. Um, but, uh, but yes, all of our, all of our, um, you know, bountiful uh, fruits <laughs> found their way into pies, uh, partly because sugar was such an easy, so, so much cheaper and easier um, to access than probably anywhere else. Right. In the world. Well, what, you know, um, the crusts that were used um, in pies and back in history, um, often called coffins by the English, right? <laughs> Morbid. <laughs> yeah, right. It was a place to lie your fruit. <laughs> but, yes. Um, <laughs> but the, the crusts often weren't meant to be eaten. I mean, they were, it was hard as rocks and, right. and uh, just what, flour and water, like a paste. Yeah. Really, right? Well, it was technically edible. It was more of just a vessel for the filling. Mm-hmm. And thank goodness those days are over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, and I'm not sure when um, the crust became more edible. When, do you have any idea on that? When, because we know it's all about the crust. Come on. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, I think it, I think it probably happened more gradually over time. Um, you know, when when you you don't need pies to be something that you stick in a pocket or <laughs> take on right, a, right. a long journey, um, then then it's going to sort of transform over time. Um, um, I'm not. I, I I think it might be difficult to sort of pinpoint an exact time when it might have switched over. But I'm guessing that um, if the, when the focus is more on providing pies as a dessert, then the goal would be to have a pastry crust that is really, you know, just lovely and delicate to eat. Right. Right. I mean, and there are. I mean, that was that's an important point. Is that um, the pies were sold uh, from vendors on streets. Uh, you were when you referred to pocket pies and hand pies. Um, so yeah, indeed, they'd have to be very portable, and you know, not like a slice of ooey gooey you know, fruit juicy pie. You know, it had right? To be, it had to be well contained so it wouldn't melt all over everything. And they were often reused as well. <laughs> so you would eat the filling out uh, out of it and then bake it again. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well. So it was technically made of, you know, flour and water and uh, edible ingredients, yet it wasn't really something that you m- would want to eat. Yeah. And it's interesting because as it became um, sort of a very popular dessert and popular um food item in America, it was really looked upon as um, became comfort food. And so much comfort food is now, in this time of the pandemic, uh, 
you know, people are turning to those foods that make them feel warm and homey. Like you said, your parents' pie company called Mom's Mom's Pie Company. I mean, yeah, right. it's, exactly. It, yeah, it just evokes all that um, the warm oven and fire, um, being cared for, being exactly, nourished, being cared for. Yeah. Some of the all-time American favorites, definitely, as I spoke about already, the, the apple pie. Uh, you know, it's been mentioned that Americans had such a bounty of, eventually, you know, the planting and, and learning um, to grow all the different natural produce, berries and things. But um, the, the fruit just seemed to be sweeter. It grew sweeter and, and richer and larger. Um, but pumpkins they learned about well they well they pumpkins pumpkin pie we talk about as you know being that iconic as you thanksgiving uh dessert but it would not have been in the fir- in the first thanksgiving because they didn't have an oven number 1 but they knew about pumpkins but pumpkins uh probably weren't even really used as pumpkin pie became popular is that true yeah Yes, that is true. Um, you know, um, pumpkins, uh, what is often sold as pumpkins in, in cans um, for pu- to be used in pumpkin pie. Shout out um, to Libby's, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, um, those, are, those are made often with Dickinson pumpkins, um, which are botanically a squash. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, much like you know neck pumpkins and and uh and butternut squash all of them have a similar you know orange um sweet maybe slightly nutty uh flesh um but uh, botanically they're not they're they're squash and not pumpkins um <laughs> and and they can taste more pumpkiny than pumpkins in a uh-huh, in a right. pumpkin pie i don't i don't bother to say you know to 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 say oh by the way these are made with butternut squash as if that's a bad thing or or a departure from the norm because it's actually quite normal and the commercial uh, canned pumpkin that you find is is botanically a squash as well (laughs) yeah i mean it's what we've come to recognize as the pumpkin flavor but it's right i mean if anyone has cooked a a a a a small sugar pumpkin commonly used for pies or or a larger pumpkin um, you know that it's it just doesn't give that smooth as a texture as let's say a you know a Hubbard or kabocha or a, or a, um, even a butternut squash right right yeah I, I like to use those red sunshine kabochas as well and you know kabocha just means uh, pumpkin in <laughs> in Japanese and so it's such a it's such a funny thing that where you know we have this distinguishing line in our heads um, whereas you know in in another language in another um, culture's cuisine there's no there's not necessarily that distinction yeah well it, and it's interesting we think that pumpkin would be you know like the number one favorite pie but of course you know off the top of anyone's head say what's the favorite American pie. It's obviously, oh, but go ahead. Yeah. Apple, of, <laughs> of course. course. Yeah, of Apple's course, the right. classic, yeah. um, and and I, I think it deserves that uh, that place at number one. I mean, and, and the apple pie is one of the most absolute <laughs> delightful combination of flavors that I can imagine. <laughs> um, my only, my only, uh, you know. My only qualm is when people think it's too boring to be good because it doesn't have to be. 
it doesn't have to be exciting or new or gimmicky. It just has to be made really well. And then when you have a nice slice of warm apple pie that's made really well, it is absolutely life-changing. Right. Well, you know, we were talking about hand pies and, um, you know, the pocket pies, the coffin types. But the round pie shape with a sloped sides, I mean, that's pretty much that. That has been around. That was one of historically one of the first shapes of pies that that there were um, to come to America. I mean, that's maybe the vessel because it was the only vessel baking bowl that was used. Um, but that's been around a long time, right? Yeah, I have. I haven't done much um, research into pie making pans, but it is quite a natural shape for it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want, if you want to contain the filling and. Um, and it, it and it makes itself, you know, amenable to so many different kinds of pies, ones with liquid fillings that need to be baked, you know, custard fillings, chest fillings, as well as fruit pies that you don't want to bubble over too much. Yeah. And then, of course, there's, you know, they've taken on so many different iterations, slab pies, you know, hand pies we talked about. and. Um, right. In all different kinds of shapes. But you had mentioned earlier um, mince pies or mincemeat pies, and that's something mincemeat. I mean, that's kind of a combination of savory and sweet, you know, preserving the meats. But people aren't really – that's not a common pie on the no. American table. It um, isn't. And I think in part – I don't know if you realize I, – I did some research on it for another um, project – and mostly, you know, because minced meat was used to, to preserve in the sweet and the and the brandy and the sweet meats that were in it, to preserve leftover cuts, sort of the lesser cuts of, let's say, the venison or whatever or the beef, whatever was had been butchered, and of course that was not necessary after a certain time. We had refrigeration, so minced meat was not a popular thing to have to make. But mince or the you know the I mean, you know, small chopped up stuff. I mean, I think it's coming back as far as just the fruits, just the right. you know the, the chopped up fruits. Do you do any kind of a mince pie? We do. We do mince pies uh, in a in a nine inch you know full size as well as in in a little tiny tart size, mm-hmm. um, and that's mostly by request of uh, of. Um, People of English people <laughs> who frequent our our shops, uh-huh. um, those are the people who will ask us. And um, and you know, at the beginning, I didn't know really. Um, I, I knew about mince meat pie as my dad made it, um, but when I mentioned meat, <laughs> vegetarian <laughs> English woman who is a, a frequent customer, she was horrified by that idea. It's it's lost the the you know it. While that's how it originated, it definitely. Um, it lost the meat at some point <laughs> in kind England, of. and so it's a traditional dessert, uh, and it's you know it's about the dried fruits and it and and you know macerated in brandy, and it's uh, it it's it's sweet, but it's more of like a sort of dark flavor. Yeah. It's a deep dark flavor that I really appreciate. Um, it's kind of like my, it's kind of like a fruit cake in a pie form, exactly right? yeah and so that you really have to sort of appreciate those dark flavors my my dad makes both um both uh fruit cakes you know those very old-fashioned dense 
um, brandy soaked fruit cakes um, (laughs) that are just uh, really thick and really. I mean, it's like it's the type of fruit cake that that all of those jokes are made out of. They use as a door stopper because it's so heavy. Um, But it it is, you know, it might be an acquired taste, but I've I have indeed acquired it by now. I didn't like it when I was little. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, it's it's similar in in that yes, you can age the filling. Um, You know, as you mentioned, it was it was meant to the the liquor and everything was meant to preserve the meats. Um, but uh, now that's not necessary. However, you might like to keep it in a jar for a while just to let all of those flavors meld and macerate. Right. Um, and that's it's kind of a fun post-Thanksgiving project to get started on your, um, on your uh, you know, Christmas uh, <laughs> mincemeat uh, yeah. filling. Um, and I, I, I noticed that here in the U.S., it's it's often called mincemeat whether it contains any meat or not. Yes. Um, and uh, and so you can find versions with actual meat, like muscle meat or ground beef, um, or you can find it with just suet, with just the mm-hmm. um, like the a beef fat, like unrendered right. beef right. fat. Yeah, the suet was a very important part of it, right, for preservation yeah. as well. well and, you- and they they make it with vegetarian suet in England, which is funny. <laughs> but, it's whoa. which is just of course shortening. <laughs> yeah, um, but it's it has I think some starch to sort of give it a texture. Yeah. Um, um, and I think that's so funny to 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 go as far as to make vegetarian suet. <laughs> <laughs> that's really yeah, that's interesting. Well, you have written about um, a lot of of pies that are sort of you know classic, but maybe have somewhat fallen out of out of favor. We're going to talk about those. I want you to to talk about some of your research into those uh, when we come back after a short break. So stay tuned. All of us at HRN have been keeping busy, despite working and recording from home. This fall, we're proud to announce new shows on the network that each bring important and enlightening stories to listeners around the world. While the world is in turmoil and the future of our country is uncertain, there are certain constants that help keep us going. For us, food and storytelling are essential. While we can't come together in person, food podcasts from HRN provide a virtual table we can all gather around. Bringing exceptional stories to your ears and keeping you informed on the ever-changing political and environmental issues of our time is integral to our mission. At a time when the world around us is rapidly changing, HRN is committed to being here for our listening community, and we need you to be here for us. Join our table and help ensure the future of food radio by becoming a member of HRN. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate to make a contribution. Check out the latest additions to our lineup while you're there. You can see all of our series at heritageradionetwork.org slash new show. Hi, we're back and I'm talking with Petra Paradez about pies, American pies. And Petra, we we specify American pies because I think when we say American pies, people do conjure up that, you know, bubbling fruit pie, you know, fresh out of the oven. I don't know, just 
seems that way to me. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. That's definitely what I think of. <laughs> I, I had mentioned that you that we would talk about some of the classic pies that some are still classic. Oh, and it's very regional, too, what pies are, you know, are, are um, in favor. But there's one in particular that has that you don't find around much anymore, you know, if you at all, and that's the Nestle Road pie. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, uh, the Nestle Road pie is um, is such an interesting case of of something that almost went extinct <laughs> and came back, and it's so um, it's so specific to the to to New York City um, and just the outskirts of New York. Um, Nestle Road as a flavor is generally just characterized as uh, a combination of chestnut and rum, um, whether it be an ice mold or a pudding uh, made with those components, and and um, and sometimes you know uh, fruits, uh, either dried fruits or cherries that have been macerated in rum are, are a feature of a Nestle Road pie, um, and and it is possible to find some desserts in Europe that are you know are. are uh, are a Nestle Road flavor. However, Nestle Road pie is so specific to New York. It was, um, it, it was it, Nestle Road puddings were really popular uh, in the Victorian era, um, sort of pre-refrigeration, and they would be uh, made in a mold, um, sort of like a, a frozen pudding, studded with uh, with rum-soaked fruits, um, and then in the forties. A woman named Hortense Spire uh, decided to make Nestle Road into a pie, and she made them out of her brownstone home in um, in uh, like uptown Manhattan, and um, she she you she distributed them to all of the different steakhouses and um, and seafood places in New York. Um, and uh, they, they became immensely popular, so plenty of copycats popped up all over. <laughs> and um, by the 60s, they were sort of a diner staple. You could find them right. in, in just about anywhere. And that's I hear from a lot of customers who were young at that at that time that are looking for a Nestle Road pie. And, and it's most often that they're looking for a Nestle Road pie during a time of year when we don't make it. We make it for uh, usually in uh, we started Thanksgiving and go through January. Hmm. Um, and, um, uh, people's connection to this pie is so strong and that's, that's what is so interesting and notable to me, um, every time a customer will write about it or somebody will write on behalf of their, their parents or their grandparent saying he really wants to try a Nestle Road. He really wants a Nestle Road pie. I can't, I've never heard of it. I can't find it anywhere. <laughs> like, can you help me? Um, and so it, it, it's the kind of thing that just makes you want to learn as much as you can about it. Um, but by the time the late 60s, 70s came around, it, it had just disappeared. It had just right. fallen out of fa- favor Faded. for unknown reasons. Yeah. yeah. But you do have a recipe for it in your book. It may I not do. be It may not be the original classic. Um, you said you had trouble finding um, Harriet Spire's um, original yeah. recipe. Hor- yeah, right. Hortense Or Hortense, Spires. I mean. I, Hortense. Yeah, there, there was, a, a, you know, th- I, I found some old New York Times articles and and uh, one thing that's funny is like, you know, one of those old Nessa Road, it, it includes uh, almond macaroons <laughs> and, and like yeah. fresh cookies in it. So <laughs> you just, so. It, you, yeah, it's hard to tell what, what, um, 
how she might have defined her Nessa Road pie. Mm-hmm. But, you know, one thing that, of course, uh, had to be, you know, a staple was was chestnuts and rum and cherries. Uh, I think that, yes. you know, her version might have had various dried candied fruits, whereas um, the the kind that you might have seen in diners and even in Jello advertisements that had a recipe, <laughs> yeah. um, those were more of almost like a sort of vanilla pudding-y kind of, like a rum vanilla pudding with cherries um, and, and chocolate featured in some way. Right. Well, you mentioned um, that people, um, you know, they just... It, they remember it from when they were a kid or whatever, and they so they're looking for it. They, it just evokes something in them. I think that's true with any of the pies that are more classic and maybe more regional. And I'm thinking chess pie or buttermilk pies, butterscotch pie. I'm that was always a favorite of mine from hmm, many years ago when I was a kid. <laughs> and you don't you don't see butterscotch pie pudding, yes, but not butterscotch pie. Well, basically, it's pudding in a crust, right? A right. lot of the custard pies sort of, I don't know whether they fell out of fashion or what, but or persimmon pudding. I mean, persimmon pudding pie. Well, the persimmon, again, a pudding, you know, that those are pies that you don't really see that much around. And you have some, you have recipes for all of them. Yeah, I do. I mean, I think persimmons are super fun to fun to cook with. And, and um, both persimmon pie and um, butterscotch pie are things that you see in parts of the Midwest and like mm-hmm. Illinois and Indiana um, and, and are more specific to those regions. Um, but persimmon pies uh, have been a feature of American cuisine for quite some time. Right. I mean, there are, there are native persimmons here that, um, that, you know, uh, you know, a few centuries ago, they would make in a very similar way um, to like a pumpkin pie. Um, uh, they would, you know, add spices and eggs and dairy and bake it in a crust or bake it just as a pudding without a crust. Um, and uh, and I I first had a taste of persimmon pudding pie at my my grandfather's. Uh, <laughs> he would always invite us to his uh, his archaeology. Um, like society holiday party, <laughs> and uh, and of course all of the all of the people there uh, are, are interested in history and in, in various capacities. And so one woman brought a persimmon pie, and I thought, oh, <laughs> I've got a I've got a or she brought a pudding, and I thought, oh, I've got to make it into a pie. Um, and uh, and then I then I found that hey, that's already a thing. But <laughs> <laughs> um, and chess pie or buttermilk pie, you mentioned um, sugar. Why? Um, Americans really started focusing on sweet pies only, and yes, and the sugar, you know, the sugar industry for better and for worse. And was well, the slave trade ran that, but yes, um, the um, the cane sugar and chess pie. Um, that I mean, that is such a staple of the South. It seems to me, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it, as sugar. It, in, in addition to you know being <laughs> being uh, something that we crave, it's it's also a good preservative. So chess pie is sort of like a it's it's interesting because it's decadent, but it's also a kind of um, food that just kind of uh, appeared out of sort of limited means, and mm-hmm. and, and so it's made out of ingredients that. Um, that are good keepers. You know, butter uh, doesn't even necessarily need refrigeration. Um, 
and um, so butter and buttermilk and all of these things that um, keep much better than the the milk itself. So, it, you know, if you're in and, and a lot of a lot of people don't realize just at the, at the extent to which dairy is naturally somewhat seasonal and that cows don't produce as much over the winter. Right. Um, and, uh, and so these, these better preserved, um, versions of dairy find their way into chess pie. So, um, not everybody uses buttermilk, but I do. (laughs) So, but you know, buttermilk and butter and eggs and sugar being the main ingredients are all things that can be, you know, kept for a long time. um, And and really considered very American. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and I mean, chess pie is interesting because there's no one way to make it. And um, while it's, it's sort of a really specific thing, it's also just so hotly contested, huh. <laughs> you know, because however your grandma made it is the way to make it, <laughs> you know, yeah, right. depending on, on who you ask. And so some people um, use cornmeal in it. Some people don't. Some people use canned milk um, or evaporated or or I've even seen sweetened condensed and some people don't. Um, but, uh, but, you know, being that as it is, I, my version comes from my dad. So, so my version has cornmeal. It has buttermilk, um, and uh, in my chocolate chest pie, it has cream as well. Yeah. Um, now, that, now that was good. That's something I'd never come across before. Was the chocolate chest pie? So oof, I'm, yeah. I'm going to try that one out. Um, and well, and you mentioned too. I mean, the the um, that it was uh, when there was little else around, and that was what they had. Well, you think it. The season when there is not fresh fruit, and uh, absolutely that you can still make a pie, right? Just oh. absolutely. Well, then yeah, that, but that make makes me most... think of shoe fly. What shoe fly pie and and yeah, uh, there's Hoosier pie, right? I think that there's so many types of pies that can fall under the chess um, umbrella. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, they are very interrelated. The vinegar pie, which is, you know, sort yes. of a butter-based pie with vinegar in it and, and, uh, and transparent pie and, uh, buttermilk pie. All of these to me, um, fall under the, the umbrella of chess and in that they're, um, they're sort of like custard pies made with a higher amount of sugar and some alternates version of dairy that isn't just you know milk and cream yeah <laughs> well when you said transparent pie of course what came to mind right away which a take on shoe fly pies is of course the other iconic american pie and that's pecan pie mm-hmm. because yeah i have a picture of, in my book of, of the sunshine coming through the pecan pie because <laughs> it is indeed transparent yeah, yeah. yeah well and of course you know so much of I mentioned a shout out to Libby's, you know, pumpkin. They were the first to grow the Dickinson pumpkins, I think it was, which was a, mm-hmm. a squash, right? You mentioned that that it was a type of squash, um, yeah. And uh, and caro syrup, caro syrup. I mean, that's that recipe that is printed <clears throat> on that jar of caro syrup, a bottle of syrup, is still, I think, the preeminent recipe that's used by most people um, at holiday time for the pecan pie. It's amazing it how industry drives so much of the, uh, well, not, I mean, it's, you know, makes sense, but so much of, of our culinary 
habits. Right. I I agree. I mean, one thing that's interesting, uh, you know, you mentioned Libby's, you know, they did both canned milk and canned pumpkin. So, you know, there you got it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So that, you know, the companies that make these things have an interest in making sure that these dishes are associated really strongly with the holiday mm-hmm. um, so that so that you can't have that holiday dinner without making your pumpkin pie and, and here's the here's the standard recipe to use right, <laughs> so right. so that is a really interesting uh, and, feature <laughs> and then of course something that I'm sure you would consider a travesty and that's for the the people who and it's not a, not a problem but is then the frozen pie crusts Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we then. all know that it's all about the pie crusts, and right. you you did something rather special, which makes your pies extra special. Let's talk about your pies and what makes them so special. <laughs> I mean, an extraordinary amount of butter <laughs> <laughs> works for me. It's, it's it works for me. <laughs> yeah, it, and it, and it works. It really does work. I mean, I think that. You know, when people think that they are not a pie person, it's usually because, you know, they've had mediocre pie and they haven't had really good pie. Um, and, And I think that the reason people, you know... They might like to make a pie, but they'll use, you know, a store-bought crust is because it has um, a very uh, formidable reputation as being a tricky thing to make. Um, and... Uh, I think that it's totally achievable to make it, and um, and my my pie crust recipe, um, as you may have noticed, is 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 pretty different. Not just in the in the sense that it has a high amount of butter, low amount of liquid. Um, I I also think it's really important for people to manage temperatures so that they can make that recipe work. It's really hard to use that much butter and that little water. Um, if everything is sort of getting warm right there in your hands while you're trying to make it. Mm. So I recommend using cold butter and then flour straight from the freezer. And for the liquid, I actually dissolve salt and sugar in hot water and then chill that completely. And I think all of these things help to um, deter the the sort of strengthening of gluten proteins that can make a pie crust tough. Mm. So you know, when you try this pie crust when it's um, warm out of the oven, it uh, it's almost like it's been fried from within. It's so it's so shatteringly crisp, and it's uh, it's really really delicious. Okay, I might have to take that break that I was talking about to get <laughs> to get a sweet snack. Okay, you're driving me crazy here. Um, <laughs> um, but that it is true. It's I mean, it's really yes, you have to have great fillings but if the crust fails it's just just a different kind of dessert it's all about the crust you know absolutely yeah Yeah. and you know one thing that you don't see a lot at uh at my pie shop and my cafe is you know crust left on the plate the crust is just as good (laughs) as any other part of the pie (laughs) although I I do have a five-year-old who uh who says she just likes the filling and not the crust but she does have a sort of uh rebellious streak and uh, (laughs) you know that's her way of uh of uh, asserting her individuality (laughs) but then she probably would eat a pie crust cookie if you gave it to her (laughs) oh yes absolutely yeah yeah Uh, talk talk, tell me a little bit about um the other pie some of the pies that you bake is there one pie or or a couple pies that are really your your own creations or a specialty of the house 
Um, yeah, we have, it's been really fun to experiment over the years. So, you know, while I started with my dad's recipes, everything uh, that I make and sell now is significantly different from, from my dad's uh, recipes. Um, but uh, one of my favorites is a coffee and cream pie. Because um, I always just loved coffee desserts. I loved coffee ice cream when I was little. That was a special treat that my dad <laughs> let us get. as you know, sort of exotic to me. I was surrounded by desserts at my parents' bakery. But I, I felt really special if my dad got me some, some coffee ice cream. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, um, so I, I aim to sort of recreate that flavor in a pie. Um, and so it's sort of like a coffee pudding um, and, a, and even a coffee whipped cream. And it ends up having the sort of flavor that you get out of a Vietnamese iced coffee, that sort mm, of nice, yeah. rich dairy and coffee flavor. Um, and another one that was really fun to make was, you know, once I once I got my Nestle Road recipe down, which you know took various uh, various attempts to get it right in the eyes of people who remembered it from their childhoods or from their teenage years. Um, uh, I used that similar format to make a, a pistachio pie, um, and uh, and so it's it's I'm sort of enamored with that mid century style of of dessert making where it's very labor intensive. They they used a lot of gelatin, which is uh, yeah. you know <laughs> quite quite a it was quite a feature of the time. You know, the gelatin molds and That's stuff. Right. But right. um, well, actually, but, I so, saw a picture. Yeah, I saw a picture in your book with pistachios, and I thought, oh, so she decided to substitute. Pistachios for I don't know what it was. Maybe it was right after the Nestle Road Pies. It is, yeah. But, and let me tell you, the photographs in the book are are drool worthy. I mean, they yeah. they are delicious looking photographs. And um, so, tell me the the person you had photograph the book. Yeah, is... Victor Garcon. He is um he is a former barista of ours. He's sort of an all around talented food person, but he loves. F- photographing food and events and just people enjoying themselves. And so um, he had worked uh, worked for us in the past just to, you know, get, a, you know, product photos up on our website or on social media. And I just, I knew that I wanted to work with him when I did the book um, because I, you know, he got me <laughs> and I got him uh-huh. and, and I wanted to, I wanted to work in natural light and, in the most natural way possible, um, because uh, I, I don't know, I'm 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 a pretty easygoing person, but I I, I realize at this point that I'm like sort of fiercely do it myself, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, and so I knew that I w- uh, I would need somebody who could co- sort of go along with that, and and it was important for me to capture pie in its uh, natural glory. And that sometimes means broken crust or, or little cracks and, and just the, these little imperfections that to me are signs of, um, of uh, something really good to come. You know, yeah. like the, if the crust is a little cracked, that means it's tender enough um, to break and that it's going to taste and feel really good when you're eating it. Well, um, that's, and, that's, uh, that's a great <laughs> way to describe a, a perfect crust, I think. Um, yeah. uh, now, is your shop open during this time? Yes. We, we um, at, the, at the beginning of the lockdown phase, when the pandemic hit New York or in the early stages there, um, uh, we took a, a, one day to reassess that many of our employees went into quarantine immediately. A few of them continued um, to come to work. And my, my husband was working about 
um, I don't know, anywhere from 10 to 18 hours a day um, and took maybe a couple days off with, for like 100 days straight, <laughs> you know. Um, and uh, uh, I was at home a lot of the time with our, our two young kids and I was pregnant with our third kid at the time. So it was a, it was a very intense uh, time um, just as it was for, for everybody. Everybody mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you know, was going through these major changes. But... Um, one thing that um, that worked in our favor and that I'm extremely grateful for is that we have a, a highly deliverable product and that delivery was part of our our uh, business model from the beginning. And um, and, uh, you know, a lot of people in New York working from home would, um, you know, get get sick of cooking at some point and, and want to order from us uh, either for like a special comforting treat or. Uh, we ended up making a lot more savory pies um, uh, during this time, and and they they've sold more than ever before because people want just like a nice a nice home cooked uh, home cooked style meal. Do you deliver outside of New York City or only in New York City? We um, deliver within the within the five boroughs. We've expanded our delivery zone um, so to within a hundred miles of New York. It's so oh, wow. it's not cheap, but it's possible to yeah. get it uh, uh, get get the pie taken directly to you. Well, if you um, can't get it on... from and if you can't get it from Petey's Pies, now you can get it from the book and make your own. That's exactly <laughs> give you something to do. Um, Petey's Pies is in New. York City, and it was. You have a website, pdspies.com? Pdspie.com. Pdspie, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, P-E-T-E-E-S. dot com. That's P E T E E S. com. And the book, again, is called Pie for Everyone. And, and Petra, it is really a terrific book. I, you know, I leave, read a lot of cookbooks and a lot of pie books because I love pie. And this is really a great book. And I wish you. You don't need to wish you luck. You've already had good luck with it to to date. And um, I think that what you said, if someone says they're not really a pie person, they just haven't found the right pie yet, and they can certainly find it from this book. Thanks so much for sharing all your information with me. Thank you, Linda. Thank you for asking such fun questions. All right, and thank you all for listening to another Taste of the Past. And please visit the website of heritageradionetwork.org, and keep us going by pressing the beating heart in the upper right-hand corner to donate. We are a listener-supported radio network, and we appreciate all of your help. Thank you. A Taste of the Past is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends. And please, join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.